or your neighbor's Bible. You can get close enough to them to highlight the important verses tonight. Or write in, write in your neighbor's Bible. Acts chapter 10. What page are we on tonight, Jeremy? That's the Bible I have, 1,164. All right. Right. All right, we left off in verse 26. Let's go ahead and pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the history. Lord, we thank you for the open door. We're asking and praying tonight that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives for us to see how your gospel, uh, Lord, how your gospel is the way you chose to open the door of salvation to the Gentiles. That, that cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that power of the word of God, uh, how it saves. Lord, we uh, trust you, walk with you. Lord, may we never fall into the another gospel category in our entire lives that we hold fast to you and continue in you. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Acts chapter 10, we left off in verse 26. Well, I don't know if I quite got to 26, but that's where I'm starting tonight. Um, with with uh, really, Cornelius had fallen on the ground to worship Peter uh, as he came. And that's a bad thing, right? Uh, you, I, I appreciate this as we study through the scriptures, and especially when we get to the point in the book of Revelation when John is overwhelmed with the visions and the presence of God. When we, when we looked at Peter up on the rooftop and says he's in a trance, he was astonished at the vision as, as he was seeing this come forth from God. Uh, remember, Cornelius saw an angel. What do we find out in Scripture when we see those that see angels? Many times they fall flat on their face. And, and I love studying the book of Daniel especially more in the days now of which we're living concerning the prophecies uh, of the coming of Jesus Christ in the, in the revelation of the nations that would form throughout history and that last beast, that fourth beast with the toes of, of iron and clay describing what I believe to be exactly where we're at in the world. And, and I remind you that... Um, Really, we, we're waiting for the kingdom of, of, of Jesus Christ. The best thing about Daniel's prophecy, and I think it's chapter 7, he sees the stone cut out of the mountain, made without hands, right? And it strikes the image of the beast, uh, not the image of the beast, the image of the, it strikes the image at the feet of the iron mixed with clay. In the days of the revived kingdom of man, I believe it will be, the revived Roman Empire, meaning if you get the parts of which Rome ruled, of course we say Rome or Roman because it was Italian. We come to this opening of the door to the gospel through the Italians, if you will, the Italian regiment, through Rome, through Cornelius. And I like this because, you know, Jesus is not afraid of what's coming into this world. And if you think about how his gospel had its entrance, how it brought salvation, how it found incredible opposition. And uh, I'm leading somewhere in my mind because Paul described that the Lord had given a great and effective open door. Does anybody know where that verse is? Because I haven't looked it up yet. 
this came to me shortly before the study, and I knew that this tonight was about the open door to the gospel of the Gentiles. So if someone can look that up, uh, it's a, a great and effective or a megas door, an open door. And the other phrase, there's much opposition. Now, if you find that while I keep talking, you guys are searching that out. I know you can multitask because you watch TV and talk to your wife at the same time. Well, maybe you don't multitask. What is it? 1 Corinthians 16.9. Can you read it loudly, please? Wait till everybody gets there. Well, I got the mic. Maybe I should do it. You read it, and then I'll interpret what it means. <laughs> no, we won't do that. <laughs> My friend who pastors down in the Twin Cities, before he came to the Twin Cities to be a Calvary Chapel pastor, he already knew the Lord had called him back to the Twin Cities. And so when he would visit his family, because his mom, and his mom was still there, and he had grown up in uh, St. Paul, I think it was on the east side, and they would go to church. He knew he was going to be coming to St. Paul. And they visited a church just to find out what the churches were like in Twin Cities. And they ended up at a church service in which uh, they brought up someone to play the flute. And then the pastor gave an interpretation of the flute. And the way he describes it, he says, and this person did not know how to play the flute. And they just played whatever sounds and just sounded absolutely horrible. And then the pastor gave the interpretation that he stuck around for the show. So uh, that's not what's going to happen tonight. First Corinthians 16, 9. Uh, Paul describes waiting at, at Ephesus until Pentecost, and he says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Well, we come to this place of uh, let's not faint in the day of adversity. right? This again, the wisdom given in the Proverbs. When you ask for an open door, when you're praying to God, let's let's face it, Acts 10 is about, an open door. Cornelius is seeking God, and he finds him. We didn't know to the extent of what this open door meant, but aren't you glad we have the history? The history is that from this point forward, God has opened the door, revealing that the Gentile nations can be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's Paul talking about in Ephesus? Is he talking about an open door for Israel? That door is already open. He, he's not talking about an open door to, again, what we read in Acts 10. That door is already open. But it teaches us now how that in the going forth of the gospel, that as missionaries, we call them that, but really it's those who hear the Spirit of God and go forth to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say they're on a mission. We're just agreeing, saying they've heard from God, and they go preach the gospel. And this open door comes because God opened the door. Think of that church, the little church, if you will, the faithful church, the loving church that Jesus wrote a letter to called the Church of Philadelphia. He says you have little strength. I don't know if they were little, but they had little strength. And he says, see, I have set before you an open door. Now that certainly could be an open door, right, caught up into heaven. When John gets his vision in Revelation, he says, And I saw a door standing open in heaven, and I heard the voice say, Come up here. That might be what we hear in the rapture. I don't know that. But it sure is intriguing concerning the open door into heaven. But I remind you, until the Lord comes, we're here, and we're praying and asking for God, open the door. Now, we had an open door yesterday down in Wapaton. 
I, I thought about this more and more. We got to do a third of what we planned to do. But the part that we planned to do, we were going to have a burner stand and a music stand, right? Not a music stand like this, but a stage. But we're going to have a gospel booth. Guess which one was allowed to be in their event? The gospel booth. The one we really want to be about. And I don't know if they would um, have ever had us had I been able to ask for permission. I put a couple phone calls in, never got a call back. So we're going for it. I just learned this from my pastor. In order to get kicked out, you got to be in. And I said, do you want us to leave? He said, no, you can stay. We preach Christ. Now, how do we preach Christ? Again, we might look at things a certain way. An open door. And this was an answered prayer. God opened a door. So we're joking around today. We were at a biker party and things like that. But we really weren't. We were preaching Christ. And, and God loves sinners. Now, when Paul describes what happens in Corinth, and he's writing the letter back to Corinth, I mean, you need to understand, Paul has already gone forth, but now he's writing a letter. He's already been in Ephesus, and there's an there's an additional opening of doors. This isn't like, oh, the door was open to China, and now it's open, and or the door is open. Hey, doors close. Doors close. And, and I think the church in the last couple of years, you think about the importance of what I've been bringing this time through the book of Acts, is this is history. This is God. The only way I can explain Acts chapter 10 is God intervened, right? The, the, Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. How does a door get opened? Maybe it takes much prayer to have a door opened. How about this? When Paul was trying to go into Asia, the Holy Spirit forbid him. Not there, not now, not that way. How did he, how did he forbid him? Well, many believe that he was kept from going forth where he wanted to go, that he was actually forbid by problems in his health that he couldn't go any further. Whenever he tried to go that way, he, he was uh, so sick that he couldn't move. Now, what's an open door? When you're able when you're able to go and when you get there and God opens the door and Paul with experience described much adversaries. Well, is there any more adversarial government coming than the kingdom of Antichrist who is going to ultimately oppress people to the point where they cannot buy and sell unless they worship uh, Satan's false Christ? We, we're watching a world prepare for that. Satan is not going to wait for the rapture of the church to build his structure. If you don't have that figured out, you do now. right? He is going to put things in place. He, the spirit of Antichrist. What did John write the church in, in his last days? He says, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And you've heard that he's coming. This is not new. It's new for people who haven't been listening to God. But for us, we, the scriptures and the, and the history and the book of Acts, uh, and I love this with my pastor. You know what he teaches? He teaches Revelation is a continuation of the book of Acts. The book of Acts historically goes right into Revelation. We're in that time period. We're in that time in which the gospel has gone forth. Gentiles can be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we now know of every tribe, tongue, people, nation on this earth the gospel goes forth. Think of the internet. The internet has the gospel. Somebody wants to know any evil thing, you can find it there. If you want, if you have an evil heart, you find evil on the internet. That's how it returns. 
everything in the experience and knowledge of man. But if you have that heart for the word of God and for the virtue and glory, isn't that what heaven's all about? The glory of God and the virtue of God. We cannot imagine what goodness will be until we're with the Lord when all evil is put away. We're, we're going to be like, I didn't know this was this. And we'll be so overwhelmed. And so I get Cornelius back to our, back to our story, if you will. Peter lifts him up in verse 26. Stand up, I'm also a man. He had fallen down to worship Peter. This is, he's overwhelmed. This, what God just did in answering his prayer, I, angel says, go get Peter, send for him in Joppa, and now Peter's there. This, this tells me for Cornelius, never happened before. You know, and sometimes people use this phrase, you know, act like you've been here before. I'm just saying Cornelius is not acting. He's never been there before. He falls down and worships at Peter's feet. Peter says, stand up. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many had come together. Remember this about Cornelius. Not only is he devoted to God, right? Pious, right? Devotion. He's praying. He's seeking God. But all his household. He has influenced all those who are there with him. Now is not the time for us to be about anything else other than our father's business. What is our father's business? What is he into? Well, he's not into merchandising. I'll tell you that much. He's into a house of prayer. Remember Jesus overturning things, shaking things up, whipping things down, whatever, chasing people out over that issue of what they had done. And he says, my father's house is a house of prayer. Not a den of thieves. And we have enough information now out on the internet. Sometimes I wonder if the church hasn't figured out you know, how to have a den of thieves and, and then market that. And I'm not going to be down on them, but I, I'm simply saying, where's the church seeking God? Cornelius seeking God. He finds him. Come together. Peter is very clear to, to let Cornelius know, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Now look at that phrase, but God has shown me. Now I love this about Peter. This this about Peter. Again, you, you think about this. All right, Peter, let's go fishing, Jesus says to him. He said, Lord, we've toiled all night long. Caught nothing. But he says, nevertheless, that's your word. This this idea with Peter, Peter's great with this. He he's he's all there. And then God can change his direction, his mind. And he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. The, the changing of the heart of Peter to do what? To go. Just to go. Uh, that's what we experienced yesterday down in Wapiton. The changing of the heart of people. I'll be very honest with you. If you knew this was a biker party in Grand Forks, would you establish an outreach to go reach the bikers in Grand Forks? Now, I don't think we would have done that in Fargo, but in seeking that we knew God's will for us to get to Wapiton, and we found this, like, we're going. We got there. Now, I simply lay this out in a way. Peter, I mean, like, you, know, you can sit and say, well, of course the Gentiles can be saved. You need to understand this is new for him. And he says, every nation or another nation, this is the opening of the door. Now, think of the opposition. Think of how much Satan has worked overtime amongst all the nations and peoples, spirit of Antichrist sown into the world, that whenever 
those that would go to preach Christ, what do they find when they go to the nations that, that are there? They find a people worshiping other things. That's opposition. How do you convince somebody to worship the living God when they're already worshiping another thing? Well, as this unfolds in the open door, verse 29 says, Therefore I came without objection. So Peter, listen to the Holy Spirit. Just, again, get that into your heart. I uh, Just working this out for us. Listen to the Holy Spirit. How important it is. You know, time is short, right? Time is short. And if you know you're on short time, again, listening to the Holy Spirit, he, he came without objection as soon as he was sent for. I asked then, what is the reason? For what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. He was praying at 3 p.m. This is the ninth hour of prayer. It's the afternoon or the evening session. He's been fasting all day long. And as he's fasting, he gives witness now. While he was praying in his house, a man stood before him in bright clothing. Book of Daniel. How many times does Daniel see angels in bright clothing? This is exciting. Not so much that I've seen an angel, because I haven't. But this is the history of how the door opened up. God sent an angel to Cornelius. And, and as he sees an angel... He gets a direct answer from prayer, right? Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. All he said before was Cornelius. Now he's given more detail. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your giving, your giving to the poor, your, your alms are, are remembered in the sight of God. Righteousness, right? Think about what's now being revealed is that God is acknowledging this righteousness Prayer and, and that giving to the poor. And don't miss that part of the poor. I, I, I Read the Proverbs. The, you, have, you will always have this. And, and, and this is in place for us to understand how, how really one of the marks of the Messiah was and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. This is for the common man. This is for all those who have not. And this is where, where this shows up. Send therefore to Joppa, call Simon here. His surname is Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Now, you do realize a tanner works with dead bodies to get the hides to tan them to have leather. That's why he's not in the this, in this city. He's outside the camp. He's actually, according to the Jewish law, would constantly be at that place of working in an unclean environment to create the hides or the leather, and that's where Peter's staying. What a bridge, right? What a bridge to this whole thing of what really is clean and unclean. I love what our Lord taught. When the Pharisees, who were so interested in cleaning the outside of the cup, having established for themselves a righteousness according to the way they kept the law, I mean, they tithed from their herb garden. Does that ever, like, just, like, Wow, they tithe their herbs. We think of herbs, micro, you know, micro ingredients. We think of all, you would tithe that? They did. But they forgot the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy. And furthermore, they didn't bother cleaning the inside. They only wanted a good outward showing. Two now, Peter staying with Simon the Tanner. And the word is, Peter will tell you, Peter will speak to you. 
That, that's all Cornelius has. Go get Peter. He will tell you what you must do. Now, therefore, we are all present before God. I like that phrase. He sent, I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Yeah. Think about this with Cornelius. He orders at least 100 men around, and they do what he says. And then he has household servants. He's used to sending and getting a response. Remember the centurion in speaking to Jesus said, just give the word. I am a man under authority. But he's not ordering Peter. He's under command. He's under orders. The angel's saying, go get Peter. And Peter's going to come with a message. That's what he's told. He says, now we're here present before God. Sorry about worshiping you. I don't know if he said that. But when you come to your senses, like, how could I, how could I do that? That's the supernatural power of God at work in this open door. God opens the door. An angel sends the message. Holy Spirit gives a vision. God's working on both ends. Peter shows up. And now that he's there, I, I want to concentrate on this tonight. Peter opened his mouth. And this is how he begins. In a truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. What a, what a wonderful thing. Now, I, I shared with the church in Fargo this morning, many of them who were in Wapaton for the outreach, and I just said to them, hey, we were not the most loved people there yesterday. Right? We were equally loved by God. Sometimes we forget just how much God loves people who are not with him. And this is an important part of Peter opens his mouth. I perceive God shows no partiality. This is why when James Right When he addressed the church about the rich and the poor, and that was the whole thing, he says, that's partiality. You come to this place, Peter, who had been partial up to this point in time in his life concerning a whole people group, and now the doors open up, and he perceives. He perceives it now. He's changed my perception. Hey, don't ever get hardened in your categories. We talk about hardening of the, uh, the arteries, and that's a heart attack, but the hardening of the categories. Have you not noticed how things are always changing with people, what they believe, what they practice, what you think someone is? And this to me is that ongoing spiritual battle. And why do we ask for an open door to a place that formerly had heard the gospel because other generations are born and now these situations are entered in and this is, and now it's closed off to the gospel. You catch where I'm coming from. We see the original open door to the Gentiles. And what have, what have people been praying ever since? Lord, open the door to China. Open the door to Africa. Open the door to, and, you, and maybe someone starts focusing on a little country. And then some people get the bright idea, let's go, to the, let's go to South Asia where it's nice and warm. No, I don't think. Bali. Lord, open the door to Bali so I can be a missionary there. Or Hawaii, you know. Not like that. This real work of God. Now, in this no partiality, 35 is the key verse. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This is not the way to salvation. It's not works. It's not, it's not working of righteousness is accepted, therefore they're saved. No, this is Peter now coming to this place, and he is, you know, perceptions have changed, and God has shown him not unclean, not wicked and evil people. Now, what is this? So what does Peter do next? Well, he says, the word which the Lord, which God sent to the children of Israel, and look at, look at the word, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know, almost sounds to us like an afterthought, but he's, he's peace through Jesus Christ. And, and immediately the Spirit says, Jesus is Lord of all. You catch it? 
King of kings, Lord of lords. That's what's on his thigh. He does not come back King of Israel, right? Lord of Israel. He comes back King of kings, Lord of lords. He's Lord of all. He's Lord over all the nations. And this is what the Spirit is bearing witness to and what Peter's saying in this whole thing with partiality and what he's saying, not common and unclean in every nation, working righteousness. And, and he said, Jesus is Lord of all. So he's described how the word of God has been come to preach to the children of Israel, peace through Jesus Christ. And then there's, there's a hyphen there. It's like reading through your Psalms and seeing Selah. You don't read the Selah. You pause and what did I just read? And Lord, teach me and take the time with what you just read with Selah and then pick it up again. Here, this hyphen, again, all the translators are doing for us is try to help us understand this piece through Jesus Christ is to preach Jesus is Lord. And, and think, think of that one thing, Jesus is Lord. Probably the one thing the true church can agree on. They might not agree on methods, philosophies. They might not agree on a lot of other things. Even the apostles said, Lord, they're not with us. Should we, should we call them fire from heaven? No, leave them alone. He who is not against you is with you. Open door. God is far bigger than this. He is Lord of all. I love this. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know that verse. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Now, why I emphasize this is if you look at 37, you want to know works and, and he who works righteousness is accepted. The perspective has changed. So what does Peter do? Does he dig them a well and give them fresh water? Does he, does he start a medical facility in their, in their city? Preaches Christ. Preaches the gospel. And this is the focus tonight. The word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So all he starts with is the repentance being preached and the forerunning of Christ. Mark's gospel. You know who probably dictated a lot of Mark's gospel to Mark? Peter. You really want to know the gospel that probably was interacted with Peter to one to write it down. John Mark was his relative. Rhoda's house, that's where they were at. They're relatives. Sometimes we forget that part. He goes right to the place where Mark begins in the forerunner, preaching repentance. And so you see where he starts? He says, hey, repentance was preached before Jesus came in all of Judea, Galilee, identifying where the Messiah, where he had his ministry, but now look, he, he also identifies God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I love that Nazareth is, is small. If, if I said to you, hey, I talked to Jesus in Mexico, you're like, yeah, which one? But then you narrow this down to one city. and Oh, I talked to Jesus at Calvary Chapel Social Miracle. Like, oh, I know him, right? And now this is Nazareth. Everybody knows this is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, fully identified. This one was anointed by God, by the Holy Spirit and with power. And went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He preaches Christ. Uh, I simply lay this out in this way, that this idea of one, as you would go forth and he opens a door, he's opening the door for the gospel, not 
opening the door to establish friendships, to establish a better world, right? a better economy, or a, a purpose-driven church that, that can lead the world into the, into the uh, kingdom of the Antichrist. I don't know if I can say it that way. But sometimes I wonder about the philosophies that now have come into the church or the social gospel that we don't preach Christ anymore. We preach education. We preach money. We preach welfare, whatever it might be. I, I'm simply drawing your attention and mine in the preaching of Jesus Christ and the power of God upon his life and his prophecy. Isaiah 11.2 Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who's the him? The one referenced in 11.1 of Isaiah. The one who would be the shoot that would come out of dry ground. Out of the shoot of Jesse. Oh, Jesse, line of David. It's Jesus. Isaiah's prophesying. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Counsel and might. Knowledge and fear of the Lord. When Jesus went forth and John's like, Tell us, are you the one? Because I'm still in prison. My parent, my addition there on the still in prison. Jesus says, tell them what you see. Right? The poor of the gospel preached to him was the last one. He says, the, the blind see and the deaf hear. That's, that's the power of God upon the Messiah. Healing all those who were oppressed. So doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. I love studying the scriptures and looking this up and you look for it. There was not much casting out of demons in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up and it seems like everybody's demon possessed. Son of God shows up and the demons know him. Does that not ever strike you as there's something to this spirit world in the demon possession? And, and they say, I know who you are, son of God. Jesus says, be quiet. Because he wouldn't let them tell before the time. And, and think about it. Once Jesus is baptized in the river Jordan, Holy Spirit comes upon him. And then, and then the voice from heaven says, this is the one, my beloved son, the Messiah. What happens immediately after that? Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The devil didn't know who he was before that. Oh, he got close when Jesus was a baby, didn't he? seeing the wise men, seeing this interaction, looking at this, the star. And Satan's trying to figure this out. And working through Herod, deception, right? Lying, deceiving, I'm like, I want to worship the king. He sends forth soldiers and they almost kill Jesus. If it wasn't for an angel of the Lord who intervenes and says, Joseph, get up, go to Egypt. This is the same type of interaction that, not only in, in saving Jesus as a baby, this is the interaction to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And the angel intervenes. And then he preaches the gospel, who Jesus is. He starts with those who, they were close enough to know what had happened. But you have to start with whoever you're talking to. You have to start with what they know of God. And if all they know of God is that God made this world, so you might need to start with, hey, what you're seeing it was not just by accident, but it was created. And that's sort of sometimes you have to start. And let me tell you about God's son, and you have to develop all these things, and then you use the scriptures. And he goes on to des describe what happens to Jesus. God was with him, and then he says, we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, 
And then he goes right to the gospel. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. And now he preaches the gospel. And God raised him on the third day, the gospel, and showed him openly. We're witnesses of everything that he did. They could witness the power of God. They could witness the miracles. They could witness the raising from the dead. They could witness the casting out of demons. Jesus is the power of God on earth. This No man has ever done this before. No man will ever do it again. In fact, when you read about the Antichrist who's coming in Revelation 13, he's going to do a counterfeit, right? Two counterfeits. One, calling fire down from heaven, giving life to an idol, an image, maybe a blend of technology and something demonic. And people are going to be forced to bow down to that idol that's going to have power within. But the other thing the Antichrist is going to have It's going to look like he raised from the dead. Daniel prophesied chapter 11, I believe, if I have it right, that he was wounded, right right hand and in his head. It's going to have every appearance that the Antichrist came back from the counterfeit signs, counterfeit Christ, the whole world who, well, we're caught away. Church is gone. Church is caught up before the Antichrist ever is, is revealed. Now, when we have this, the true witness and Peter's bearing witness to the true Messiah. And he's bearing witness to the power of God. And what does he bear witness to? Jesus showed himself openly after the, after the crucifixion that he was alive and were witnesses of this. Not to all people. He says, but those chosen by God. He showed himself to the apostles. Uh, Paul identifies 500 at once in the book of, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians. It might be 2nd. Writing to the Corinthians. What's Peter? What's he bearing witness to? What do we have? I wasn't there. We have the scriptures. Where do you go? You go to the record of the scriptures and say, the Bible declares Jesus raised from the dead. And then you talk about the witnesses. And you everything to say, Jesus you know, of Nazareth, son of God, crucified, risen again. And this is the witness. He rose from the dead. And that's where Peter goes. He commanded us to preach to the people. Go preach Christ. Go declare who he is. Go tell people about Jesus and his gospel. Testify that it is he who is ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. That is not being preached very much at all as a part of the gospel. The judgment to come. Who warned you to flee from the judgment to come? Jesus is going to judge every person. It's time to preach Christ. Now, I, I get what's going on in this, as we pray for open doors. We're being equipped. Now, I'm not instant and ready to talk to every person either. Again, you get equipped. You get built up. We need more prayer. It might be your neighbor. It might be the person that just crosses your path over and over in your life. And are you ready to preach Christ to them? Or maybe the Lord sends you out. Peter got brought out of the tanner's house by the power of God. He was sent for. He went. He shows up and preaches the gospel. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that it is he who's ordained to judge the living and the dead. Now that should get everybody's attention if the Spirit's convicting them over what? Well, Jesus taught us sin, righteousness, and judgment. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive 
Remission of sins. Now, when someone gets remission of cancer, we jump up and down, don't we? Their body went into remission. We're like, woohoo! And if they're a believer, they might be saying, well, I wanted to go home. I don't know what their perspective sometimes would be. You don't always know. And I love Pastor Chuck's testimony about his mom, who was, she was in excruciating pain at the end of her life. And great relationship. And he talks about that. And he spent time with her. And just he describes how he was asking the Lord, Lord, I want the pain. He says, I already took it. You know, that, that in, intimate relationship. And then pastors would come and visit his mom and pray for her healing. And when they would leave, she'd look at, at her son. She says, son, when they were praying for me to be healed, I wasn't agreeing with them because I want to go home to be with the Lord. And that was their interaction. This type of stuff, this, this truth. I mean, again, what do we have? We have the promise of life in Jesus Christ. He is going to judge the world. But that phrase of remission of sins, how important is that? We, we, we need not sin anymore. You know what John writes to the church? He says, you walk in the light as he's in the light. The blood of Je- You have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. If you say that I've not sinned, you're a liar, right? And the truth is not in you. And he goes on to say, but if you walk in the light, now, what is First John 1, 9? If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to uh, forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then he goes on to say, and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But Second John, what is that? First John 2, 1 describes you, we need not sin. What, this remission of sins. Who knew a power of God like that, that not only would he forgive sin, he has the power to take sin's, control of your life and 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 put it into remission if you will to preach that and that that you can be delivered from sin uh how the gospel has changed to something like well come to faith in jesus christ and you'll have a better life you'll be better off than you are now that's not what this is it's delivered from sin hell and death it's you actually will have the power now of, of that new life and while peter was still speaking these words which words the words of the gospel. That's what this is about tonight. And if I just did 37 through 44, that's the whole Bible study tonight. Preach the gospel. This isn't, don't, they don't need your friendship and then you'll, you'll get around to the gospel one day. You won't get around to the gospel. You'll establish a friendship and you'll value the friendship more than preaching Christ. Is that what we've learned? We've got to preach Christ. And, and how do you do that? And, well, with your life, you know, and, and these are the things that stir us up. Peter goes. Peter did not go to start a friendship. Hey, Cornelius. Hey, hey, Peter. You know, none, none of that. He went. He went because the Spirit sent him there, and he preached the gospel. Peter is preaching the gospel, and the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Now, those of the circumcision, I love the way the history of Acts describes the. This this has been the division. Between those that were circumcised under the covenant of Abraham, those of Israel, the Jews, the chosen people, the unique people on the planet, right? Circumcised, that sign, who else would do that willingly? Nobody. They're the ones, and those of the circumcision, they're astonished. So the believers, the Jewish believers of the circumcision, are astonished over the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. They heard it. They heard them speak with tongues. All, all you can go back to for those that were there, day of Pentecost. Like, we haven't seen this like this since day of Pentecost, since Samaria, chapter 8. Wherever they would go and say, that's the Holy Spirit, gift of tongues together. Not the identifying mark of being saved. 
the the outpouring of the spirit that that's this God did it this way and they're they're speaking in tongues and magnifying God. Now maybe they were speaking in all the languages that the, the Jews could understand, phrases that only they would know. And they're worshiping God. Peter answered. That's interesting. Peter answers, Can anyone forbid water? That these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And where does he go? He goes back to what he was called to do. Go preach Christ. Go preach Christ, make disciples, and baptize them. Pretty basic, isn't it? Preach Christ. When they get saved, baptize them. Baptism doesn't save anybody. Those that practice baptismal regeneration, they used to follow Pastor Chuck around when, when revival was going on. And so many people were getting saved as the gospel would be preached in those days, Southern California. And there were those who would hang outside. People come and say, have you been baptized yet? If you haven't been baptized yet, you're not saved. Chuck sends Romaine out there and says, get rid of them. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach baptismal regeneration. And the church primarily, which settled in here in the upper Midwest, what do they really teach? They really teach baptismal regeneration. They don't call it that, but that's what they practice. And, and so we come to this place and looking at this, all I have is those that heard the word get saved. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many that came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out. They heard them speak with tongues. Peter answers, who can forbid them from being baptized? They received the Holy Spirit just like we did. And this is what, I, and then they stay there for a few days. Now, that's what they did. Commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord. They asked him to stay a few days. And this whole open door, all this going forth now. And I just got to find this. I want to find this verse. Back to 44. And I just draw your attention there. Peter was still speaking the words. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those. Look at that last phrase in 44. Who heard the word. Now, there are many today who won't listen. Effectively, spiritually, they, they have their, their spiritual fingers plugged in their ears, right, closing their eyes and yammering with their mouth. I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Like a little kid throwing a fit, right? But we're children of God, right? Our lives, again, walking with Jesus, Ephesians 5, walking in love, walking in the light, walking in the truth, walking in wisdom, walking in the spirit, our walk, our manner of life, what we say, the gospel, preaching Christ, spirit-filled, all these things we've learned to do, and that's all that Peter does is he bears witness. And what was promised to the church in the beginning with the Holy Spirit being poured out? You shall be witnesses unto me. Witnessing. Our lives witness, our words, the gospel. And not only now, is the witness of the Holy Spirit upon the church of the circumcision. Now there's the witness that the Spirit, which was prophesied in the book of Isaiah, that the Spirit would be upon Jesus and he would bring justice to the Gentiles. Isaiah 42, right around 10. Might be off a little bit, but you can search it out and find it. The Spirit was upon Jesus to bring life to the Gentiles. And he did. And that's really where we're at tonight. Having heard the word, having heard the gospel, born of the spirit. And that important part of now, when the spirit came upon Cornelius and the household, they began to bear witness to the truth. 
And what happens from that point forward is after this open door, settling everything with a double witness. We'll get to chapter 11 next week and we'll get, we'll get the recounting of the story to say, did this really happen? Yes, it really happened. Six times, right? You can say it. He brought six men with him. Did this really happen? What do you say? What do you say? And, and it's what it comes down to. Why is our testimony of Jesus important? Because ultimately that's all we really have. Right? You can talk about all you want to talk about, but what do we really have? We have the word of God, which is unchanging and true. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the word of God. And you can talk to people and they, they can agree with everything with you in the word of God. Right? You can go through everything with scripture. Yeah, that's the word of God. Yes, 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 yes. And I ask a question, how did that come to you? And they look at me like I'm the craziest guy in the world. Yet Jesus said, how does this come to you? Unless a man is born again, you cannot receive the kingdom of heaven. There has to be this place of being born of God. And how does that happen? I present unto you, Acts 10 answers that. Cornelius seeking God, Cornelius praying and giving. I would meet people who aren't born again, like Cornelius, and I would say to him, how would you like to meet the God that you've been praying to all these years? I'm not bold to say that to him. How would you like to know the assurance that you're saved? And I'm talking about people who've been in churches who don't preach the gospel and aren't born again. And I, that's how I talk with them. What do we have? Our testimony is this. We received and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? I heard the word. Holy Spirit convicted me that I was a sinner. I heard the word. I repented changed my mind about Jesus Christ. You know what I thought about Jesus Christ before I was saved? He's, I don't need this. He's in my way. That's what I thought. I want to go live my life, and I don't really want to hear about him anymore. And lo and behold, the gospel's preached and conviction of the Holy Spirit of sin. That's what mine was. It wasn't righteousness or judgment. I was convicted of sin. But some are convicted by judgment. What does Jude teach? Jude teaches on some you have compassion. Others, right, you save with fear. Judgment to come. Now, that leaves us right where I want to be at tonight, which is this. Right? God answers prayer. If you take anything out of Acts 10, you're praying for people to be saved. I love the witness and testimony of George Mueller. We talk often about George Mueller's daily answer to prayer, feeding the orphans, supernatural things, just miracle upon miracle along the way. God supernaturally bought food. Just great stories. But you know this? Cornelius, not Cornelius, George Mueller, right? Cornelius prayed. George Mueller prayed. What do you really want to have over your life? Right? Daniel Nash. You cannot find many books written about him, but what's one thing that's understood about Daniel Nash? He prayed. What makes it from Elijah into the New Testament? Elijah prayed. George Miller prayed for 50 and 60 years, respectively, for two of, his, two of his childhood friends to be saved. The last one got saved at his funeral. That's pretty cool stuff. You imagine that you prayed for somebody your entire life. They come to your funeral, hear the gospel, and get saved. Why do we want the gospel preached at, at our memorial services, funerals? Why preach the gospel at our weddings? Why? That's, that's our testimony. We received and believed the gospel. I love going to those Christian funerals, celebration of life, whatever you want to call them, that actually preach Christ. 
at George Mueller's funeral, 60 years of prayer were answered. Now, he never got to know that until the guy died and made it to heaven. Like, you're here. I'm sure you know what George Mueller said by waiting for you. Because when you have that confidence that God answers prayer. This is, Acts 10 for me is God answers prayer. An open door. You take the stubbornest, hardest person in your life and you think they can't be saved. Well, it's time to get, get to work in prayer. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you answer prayer. Lord, thanks for opening the door to the Gentiles. Lord, thanks for saving us. Thanks for your gospel and power. Lord, thank you that we heard the word and the Holy Spirit fell upon our lives. And we worship and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.